Welcome to Teaching Peace. This series of conversations is the result of a collaboration between New York City Council of Mennonite Churches, Groundswell, and Brooklyn Peace Center. We begin each episode by acknowledging the land upon which these organizations sit. We recognize that we are located in Lenape Hoking, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Lenape people. We acknowledge the Lenape community, their elders, both past and present, as well as future generations. This acknowledgement is part of our ongoing work to dismantle the legacies of settler colonialism and white supremacy. On Teaching Peace, we engage in conversation with clergy and clinicians, artists and activists, and community leaders and practitioners to explore various pedagogies of peace building from across disciplines and socioeconomic and geographic contexts. In this, our second season, we are in conversation with leaders of peace centers from around the world, including Los Angeles, Belfast, Quito, and Cape Town. My name is Jason Storbachen. I serve as pastor at Manhattan Mennonite and as co-director of Brooklyn Peace Center. Thank you, Jason. And I am Addie Banks, Jason's co-host today. And uh, I am a former pastor for over 35 years. And today I serve as the executive director and founder of the Groundswell Group, a peace and justice resource center in the Northwest Bronx. And uh, we were established to strengthen the Anabaptist peace witness in New York City. We have birthed several other programs as a result of that around prevention and peace building. And the biggest one is WEPA. Uh, we engage in prevention awareness, and that's around violence prevention and substance abuse and the kinds of things that would engage young people. So today we are honored to um, welcome to the podcast our brother from uh, South Africa. This is really our first time going international. And so in this episode of Teaching Peace, we are in conversation with Oscar and Siva Sawali. Oscar is a conflict resolution specialist by trade and founder and director of SADRA, the Southern African Development and, Recon and Reconstruction Agency. Oscar, we are so honored to have you today with us on Teaching Peace. We always start with this question, considering the context of your life and work, and in particular, in this season in which we are now living how do you define peace? It's, it's a very difficult um, reflection, I must say, at, uh, at this time. What stands out the most for me is a sentence um, that I picked up some years ago from Thomas Merton. Hmm. And uh, if you don't mind, I would love to share your screen and show you this sentence because I've written it down um, so that you can you can see that. Um, yes, please do. Merton is one of my early mentors. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a whole 
<laughs> so, so right there, um, this, this for me is what really defines peace. And, and there's some important words here um, that it is, it is a difficult thing to do. I think that's what really stands mm. out. Initially, I didn't think that Metten was right. I thought he was crazy. What could be difficult mm. about peace? But I think as I grow older, I just realize that uh, it's really, really difficult. Um, not only is it difficult, it requires a lot of sacrifice. And, and I have learned in this organization that if you are going to build peace, you, you need to be really sacrificing. You... I mean, resource-wise, there's not much money, especially in our country, that goes into peace building. And, and one of the things that I find a major challenge is that even though we come from a post-colonial era, even though we come from a post-apartheid era, there isn't a strong focus on thinking about peace and peace building. As, as an important task at this time. And, and the reason for that is that everybody knows that we've had Nelson Mandela, we've had the great Archbishop Tutu, and so this is something that we should be having. And so how do you define peace yeah. in an environment that is not peaceful, mm. that most people expect to be peaceful? Mm. And so that's, that's where my dilemma then comes in is that it's it's not necessarily the the essence of uh, or the absence of violence um, and and being in a peaceful environment but it's a journey I think that's the way that mm -hmm. I've settled for um, having reflected on, on Thomas mm -hmm. Metton, I think I'm settling for peace being a a journey a long journey, if you if you will. Um, and so I'm I'm on that journey, um, and it's a it's a difficult, bumpy journey um, of hard work. Um, and uh, and I'll reflect a little bit more as we go along. But let me stop there for now. Thank you, Oscar, and thank you for joining us in this conversation. I'm going to read this definition by Thomas Merton for our podcasters who are listening out there. If this task of building a peaceful world is the most important task of our time, it is also the most difficult. It will in fact require far more discipline, more sacrifice, more planning, more thought, more cooperation, and more heroism than ever war demanded. Simply mm. powerful. Can you uh, imagine that? Oh my goodness, it's hard to almost. We're living in it, Oscar. We're living in it. It's the same thing in America, the great America. Uh, peace entities don't get funding and, and we can even lose our 501c3s if there's a particular war and, and we're trying yes. to go against that. So we're in the same kind of uh, situation in many ways. I mean, especially here as an African-American living in America today, uh, Black Lives yep. Matter is for some people cause for war. And I don't mean the black folks. <laughs> so we are living in those <laughs> conditions. Yeah. So um, I, I, 
yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll speak a little bit more as we, as we go along, but the, the apathy for peace, which you are experiencing with, uh, with people who are calling for war is, is something that we are also experiencing here with especially the, the young people um, being tired of peace and the language of peace. Mm. And the challenge that we have as a, as a country is that we, we haven't really been to war. And, and that's, that's something that some people tend to miss, but we, we went into a peace and reconciliation um, strategy with our forefathers. Um, and, uh, and that has set us up in a situation where we are meant to have peace, but not yet. And the peace we have has benefited some and many not. And so how do you call it peace then when it is beneficial to some and a loss to the majority of the people? And, and, and I guess that's the challenge that we face in, in how we define uh, peace here in, in the South. Let, let me stop with it. So ask a follow-up question to how do you define peace is how do you understand enemy? I, I find that to be a very difficult question to answer, Jason. Um, I, I think in, in, in some of the, the readings that I've looked at in the past, um, is that you have to objectify a person mm. in order to declare them an enemy. And it has to be somebody that you're not willing to build with that you have to declare an enemy. And for me, as a, as a pastor, as a church leader, as a peace builder, it does become very difficult to get to a point where, where I can declare somebody an enemy. And so I see an enemy as somebody that I have an opportunity to build with. Um, and this takes me back again to Matthew because it's hard work. I have to sacrifice myself at times. My, my egos at times in order to reach out to that person and, and engage the person who may not be interested in engaging. Mm. But in order for us to share this little rock that we find ourselves on, the little corner in the South that we find ourselves in, we, we have to find each other in one way or another. I... We, we have our office in, in, a, in a very interesting place in Somerset West, um, where, I mean, we, we're surrounded by um, rich uh, white folk and the statistics here will, will tell you that. And, and yet we are this little organization that goes out to, to work with the poor and, uh, and often you're going out for lunch or something and you bump into somebody who has no care whatsoever about the, the plight of the poor, the challenges of the poor, the needs 
that arises in a country where there is peace building to be done. And, and, and sometimes you might get frustrated, but then you realize that it's, the person does not know anything. They are not just being ignorant, but they really don't know much. Yeah. And, and often it takes the journey to turn what could have been an enemy into a great friend that you walk with along the way. And I find that very, very often that it's very difficult to, to label somebody an enemy because that person might as well become your greatest strength mm. and a help in the work that you are doing. I, 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 I have found that many times. Thank yeah. you, Oscar. Thank you, Oscar. You have said a little bit about this question already, but can you say more about where you do your work? Mm. Um, so I wanted to show you a little bit of a slide there because I thought um, even as I pronounce the names, you might not hear me properly. So if you go back into the sharing slide, I'll show you the, it's not the places, it's just the names. Um, so that as I try to pronounce, you, you're not struggle to, you're not struggling to hear. Oscar, I think my, are, my pronunciation the, of the of the words. You're the most prepared guest I think we've had. With I mean, all, Oscar. Oh, come on, Jake. The visuals of this are going to be amazing, Oscar. Thank you. We'll use no, it. It's not a, it, yeah, I I I thought it's a it's a because I I tend to pronounce words very differently, um, and people get lost sometimes in my pronunciation. Ah. So, so this, this works a little bit better for me. So, so I mean, one is that uh, obviously we work here in South Africa uh, where we are based. And uh, currently we working in four provinces, call them states. Um, and we have nine of those. So we, we sort of are prodding along. Um, some of the challenges that we're facing here, if you look in the red, they, uh, we have upcoming elections in October, and these are local government elections. And so that brings a lot of conflict um, when you're talking about local government elections, as uh, they are contested in local communities. Um, and so that's something that we get busy with, and uh, I'll, I'll say something later on about that. We, we have racial tensions, believe it or not. Um, and that is something that we, uh, we continuously monitor and continuously um, discuss as we, as we go along. Um, yesterday, we had uh, the former president arrested, and that's yeah, also Jacob Zuma. Uh, looking uh, like something that could spark um, some violence. And so we monitoring it as an organization that works with communities um, and that looks for opportunities to build bridges. Um, that's something that we are monitoring. The third wave of COVID um, and the elections is a mixture of things that we don't know yet what impact it's going to have. There is a commission at the moment to look at the possibility of postponing elections. Mm. But uh, I mean, you will know that that's not easy 
when when some people actually are looking forward to being voted in. Um, so, so those are some of the challenges that we face right now here in South Africa. In uh, Eswatini, which is another country where we have some work, it's a neighboring country, um, and there are protests at the moment against the king. Um, and uh, Eswatini is known as the, the country with the last monarch um, in Africa. And, and so there are current protests at the moment. Some people say uh, 60 plus people have been killed um, and the, the opposition parties are highlighting issues of poverty. Um, we have some church leaders that we've trained in Eswatini and uh, that we're engaging. Um, and I'll talk about that at some time later on. Um, I highlighted Lesotho because it's often having presidential challenges. And even though there's nothing specific that I'm going to share at the moment, um, but it's, it's mostly unstable um, as we go along. And uh, Zimbabwe, you will know, I think you, you might know even better than me, uh, you, you have uh, Zimbabwe um, and uh, one of the countries that you don't trade with. And, uh, I think the current president and the former and the one before that. So, so they've been undergoing uh, economic challenges forever. Um, and then that results in a lot of upheaval in the, in the country itself. Malawi has had elections during COVID and uh, it's progressing very well. So these are some of the countries where we do some work and our focus, as you will know, it's strongly around the training of church leadership. And so within these countries, we work and partner with church leaders um, whom we train as mediators who work and intervene at either um, national or regional space within the countries that they, they live in. Um, and uh, at the moment, we are engaging with different church leaders from, from some of the countries, looking at opportunities on how we can find a way forward um, in some of the challenges that they are, they are facing. Um, a, one picture from uh, Swaziland or Eswatini, uh, which just depicts what I'm talking about. Um, this is something that I just grabbed from Twitter, um, where people are talking about the shootings that have been ongoing um, in that country. And this is a small country of about 1.3 million people. So it's not like it's a huge country um, that we're talking about. If you're looking at uh, this post on Twitter, it says a uh, short uh, swazis by the army and police, um, the midst of protests, they are pleading for blood donations as most of them had to do operations to remove the bullets um, in their bodies. And, uh, and so this has been highlighted to go out into uh, different structures. And these are some of the challenges that uh, these, uh, these countries are, are facing at the present moment. And so, as I say, we work in very interesting uh, terrain and that's where we are working um, at the present moment. I'll share a little bit about some of the, the actual work that we've done um, later on with different groups, um, but I'll pause there for now. Thank you. Great, thank you. Oscar. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> thank you so much, Oscar. Jason. 
Um, according to the website for Southern African Development Reconstruction Agency, SADRA, um, SADRA creates space for peace through conflict mediation, peace training, capacity and team building and interventions to issues such as school violence and xenophobic attacks. And SADRA offers training to students, primary school through university, pastors and government leaders. Much of your work focuses on training people, equipping them to become peace builders. What does this look like? Mm. I, I, I take this, um, Jason and Eddie, as, as planting seeds. Mm. You know, uh, they, they say when you want a shade in 10 years or 20 years time, you need to plant the tree today. Mm. And so that's, that's how I see this work. In, in some communities, there's no violence necessarily, but you plant a tree. In some communities, there are major challenges that you look at as an outsider and you realize it is, it is almost impossible to start where things are at at the moment. So the best thing is to, to just plant trees around so that in the future, for instance, yeah. there are communities that are impacted highly by gangsterism. And, and when, when you research gangsterism here, it goes back over a hundred years ago. Uh, there's a fellow um, who's one of the police generals who have written a book. Um, and, and so how do you deal with an uh, over a hundred year problem? It, it's not something that you can just wake up and, 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 uh, and tackle. So what we do on our side is, is to plant those trees. Mm. Um, in, in one community that I work in, the vision that I have is, is a 10-year vision of having um, within 10 years about 500, 600 young people that I would have trained as mediators, peace builders. I was talking to somebody the other day saying, I have already seen, I mean, this is our third year in that community. I have already seen some fruits where principals of schools have seen the difference of, from the young people that we've trained. But I've also seen some of the young people that we've trained joining gangs. Mm. And, and I, I have said to people, I, I'm, I'm fascinated and, and looking forward to seeing what, what kind of gangster this is going to be <laughs> who has peace building skills. Yes. Wow. Right. I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that is going to impact the, the communities in the long run. I, I, I can almost guarantee that a number of the young people that we will train will join the gangs as they have done over the years. But they'll be joining the gang with skills, mm. negotiation skills, mediation skills, conflict resolution skills, peace building skills. How is that going to impact 
the gangs that they become part of. I, I can't predict that from where I am, but I look forward to seeing whatever research that will be done in years to come. I might not even be around. When, when somebody is able to point back and say, my goodness, this Oscar caused us a big problem. Here we have gangs who are applying negotiation skills in their setup. So, so I, I see it as, as planting trees yes. in, in different communities. And, uh, and really, I go out of this office with a big bag of seeds yeah. and scatter them around, <clears throat> knowing that some will be on a good ground oh, and they will grow and they will be able to bear a huge uh, fruit and some will fall on the rock. Yeah. And, and I've seen that. I mean, I, I've seen situations where out of uh, 30 people that I train, only two become active in pursuing peace and impacting their community. And you go back over and over and over and uh, you, you get frustrated because you're looking at others and you're wondering what, what happened to the rest. And, uh, and, 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 and so it's, it's, it's hard work, um, but the sower has to go out mm. and uh, daily he has to spread um, the seed over the ground and see what's going to grow um, as time goes on. So that will be my, my, my reflection around the, the, the question of um, going out into communities. Oscar, that is such a powerful image that I'm going to hold with the sower and the seed. And I suspect that some of that seed just goes out into the wind and you don't know what ground it's going to go on. But that's a powerful <laughs> vision for us to hold. It's such mm. a hopeful vision to see the games. And mm. it, it makes us think differently about where we're putting those seeds intentionally because uh, that, that's a seed that went to the wind. But <laughs> I'm looking forward to the possibilities of that. Oscar, a, a lot of what you have shared with us uh, allows us to see the trauma that is occurring in South Africa. Um, what's the role of trauma healing among the communities that you serve? And I do believe it's, that your work is healing. This, this, is very, this is very difficult because, I mean, the, the little bit that we do doesn't deal with the generational trauma that exists uh, in our country and in, in various ways. And, and I believe that uh, I, I wrote a newspaper article at some time about the, the trauma that was brought by those who came to colonize us. Um, they brought their own trauma. Yeah. They traumatized those that they found here. And uh, that legacy of trauma continues. And uh, it's been multiplied over the years. And it's now included your gender-based violence, uh, issues of femicide, mm -hmm. um, these issues of racism, these issues of xenophobia, 
and, and high levels of violence. And, and when you look at it, it's, it's almost multifold if you want to call it like that. And so as much as in most of the workshops that we do, there is a level of reflection and healing that takes place, it's not to the level that I would like to see it. Mm -hmm. For instance, um, a, a few weeks ago, we took a group of women um, and the, the idea, oh, I think I've got a picture um, here um, of this group that we took. And, uh, and really the idea was to, was to reflect um, on, I just want to get to that picture quickly. Mm. Um, the, the idea was to reflect on, on the challenges um, that the, uh, so this is, this is what happens when you, when you have slides and things like that. There are times when they don't want to move it. <laughs> Aha, there, there we are. Ah, so we had we had this group of women. This this is two weeks ago, wow. um, just before the country was closed down. And you know the the two days that we spent just exploring the impact of trauma from COVID, from gang violence. Mm you you are amazed that people live in that kind of environment on day-to-day -day basis and that women still find a way to make a home still find a way to work i mean these are community leaders to work and engage and build a community and so whilst we may offer some um, level of trauma healing and uh, exercises um, that deal with self-care. I, I believe there is very deep work that is needed, um, work that we probably are not only not offering, but we may not be able to offer, that we depend on other organizations to be able to do so. And there are organizations that do work, um, good work on, on trauma healing um, that work with communities. But generally what I, what I find from where we are at, that the levels of trauma, one from the apartheid era, two from the the, the levels of gangs and violence that's continuing to take place. So, so you've got past traumas, you've got present traumas, and, and all of those are building up within the community. And, and so what we are able to do at the moment is really a, a little bit, as I say, not, not really much. Um, but it's exercises that are able to help people recognize that they are carrying um, huge sums of residue of trauma, that they mm. need to be able to work on that day by day. We share ideas, 
um, especially on self-care. Uh, people who work in communities sacrifice their lives of communities and, and often sacrifice themselves and not take care of themselves. And so those are some of the things that we, we have been encouraging, especially to the community leaders and church leaders that we, that we work with. Um, but that's really a drop in the ocean when you think that in schools, we, we have trauma, um, especially at the moment with uh, learners who are losing parents to COVID, um, who at times are not even able to attend those funerals. Um, we, we, we are multiplying on um, some other levels of trauma that have been created by violence in our country that have not been dealt with. So at the end of it all, we, you, you look at it, and I think, I guess the, the, the major part for me is that I'm always reflecting on the challenge that we face and the traumas that we are carrying from this office and as well as the communities that we are working with and, and how we need almost a thousand years um, to run through exercises that can help us and help communities to be able to, to heal. I was talking to somebody and I said, when you talk about 400 years of a colonial past with an apartheid past, you are almost wanting to double that time mm -hmm. in order to bring healing to people. And so 400 years plus has to be a thousand years if you want to talk about real trauma healing that needs to take place in the community. So that's a challenge that we face. Yeah, thank you, Oscars. To have such a long view, to have such a vision for the time and the capacity that it takes to bring healing, to transform conflict, and to build peace, um, it takes resources to sustain that work. And I know for you, one resource is your faith. Uh, about <clears throat> 10 years ago or so, you felt a call to build peace in South African communities so that the church might be a catalyst for change. Over that time, how has your view of the gospel or the role of the church changed or developed since you first responded to that call? Um, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, there are, some, there are some beautiful things that I've seen where I've been able to share the gospel in situations that I would never have been able to. Um, I mean, one time I was running a workshop with community leaders right at the end of the workshop, um, not at the end of the workshop, at the end of the day, in the evening, uh, we had just finished. The men go out, they sit under a tree, they get some bottles of alcohol that they brought with them, and they sit and drink. And I had a cup of coffee, I went to stand next to them, and I shared my testimony, how Christ uh, took me from a life of drinking and how they would never have been able to meet me had I remained in that life. Mm. How the country would have lost what I am able to do had I remained in that life. And, and I shared a number of things and when I finished I said, gentlemen, let me not uh, disturb you whilst you are enjoying your drink and I left. And the following morning I had three people come to me, they were literally crying. And the, one of the guys said to me, you know, 
the glass that I had in my hand when you were talking, I never drank it. I still, <laughs> and, and they were crying. And we prayed, they accepted Christ. Um, one of the guys from there, later on, you might remember Steve Wibby Johnson, um, uh, who is the uh, Mennonite mission director who comes to South Africa now and then. Because when he came, I was then invited at the church where I had referred this man. And he wanted to marry the woman that he had been living with. And, and there I was conducting a wedding from sharing the gospel from a conflict resolution skills workshop. Now, I would never have had an opportunity like that if I was just in the church. And, and I've had many, many opportunities of sharing the gospel in spaces where I would never have been um, able to open to me. So I, I consider myself to be very fortunate um, to work in the space that I work in. I am also considering myself very fortunate in that my mind has really broadened in terms of what the church is able mm. to do. Yes. I have been challenging some pastors recently around focusing only on wanting churches to be open mm. during this period of COVID. At a time when the country has run out of hospitals, where some churches could actually become hospitals, and, and, and yet the church is missing that great opportunity. I asked one pastor, how would you feel if your church member contracted COVID in the church and died not being able to be admitted at the hospital? when you actually have a building that you can make open and avail to be a hospital at the moment. And I've heard in some places where churches have actually opened up space um, to accommodate uh, patients. And so I, I think my mind has really broadened in terms of seeing how the church can really make a difference. I often speak to pastors about taking the pulpit to the street yes. as Jesus did and, and plant it in the middle of the street and minister from there yes. because we, we've missed the opportunity in turning what would have been a verse that says, go ye therefore, and we have made it come ye therefore. And so the church is not visible um, out there in the streets where where violence is, where challenges are. And so it's it's been exciting to be able to do workshops with pastors, with church leaders. Um, and I, I'm just gonna share one more um, of, of, of these. There's a, there's a picture here that I really like, um, but I, these are, these are church leaders. Um, yeah. I mean, some of these church leaders are dealing with conflicts that I would never have been able to deal with. And the excitement that I got from them as I was training them is their ability to go to their communities, not just carrying the Bible, but being able to leave the message of peace and to be able to, to make a difference. And so that's that for me, um, and this would be your, your favorite ah. picture right here because this training I did um, in April 
at the uh, prison where Mandela spent his yeah. last years uh, before he was released. Um, and so they, they have his statue there. Um, and, and, and this, I mean, this pastor, this pastor here um, has already helped a church going through conflict um, in helping them resolve what was a major conflict um, in the church. And so I think what I have seen is that I have become a huge resource to the church in being able to help the church to deal with conflicts, but also help the church to be able to go out and help society to deal with conflicts. Yeah. It's, in, it's, it's, it's a beautiful picture when you see a pastor walk into a community situation that is turning violent and he brings peace in that situation. And he is able to walk out of that place knowing that he has done what he has been called to do. Mm. So it's not just about preaching, but right. it's about bringing that peace that is so needed in our communities. So I, I see a, a big role as a peace builder. Um, you know, I, I struggled to, to get into this work of peace building, to leave the church. Um, I, I am an evangelical. I, I believe in, in being behind the pulpit and uh, having my, my sermon, uh, my Bible with my three-point sermon <laughs> and uh, bringing people to Jesus Christ um, from that point. And, and I fought with God when he called me out of the church into this work. And for a while, I managed to do both at the same time until God became specific in saying, the church that I want you to pastor is the pastors out there who need to make a difference in their communities. They're not going to trust you when you are going into their churches and you are pastoring a church. They, they have had their sheep stolen many times. And you know, it's, it's been a privilege in seeing that happen in going out and seeing pastors trust me because they know that I don't have any other interest except to build the body of Christ where they are at, to share the peace that surpasses all understanding. And my favorite verse where I start is in Matthew 5, 9. Mm. And, and when, I, when I start there, bless are the peacemakers. Yeah. They shall be called sons okay. of God. And, and so when, when we start there, we, we are very clear about the ministry that God has called us to. We move to 2 Corinthians. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And we know that whilst we reconcile man to God, we must reconcile man to man. The cross is vertical and horizontal, and both have to be reconciled. And so that's how I see the, the work that I have to do day by day when I wake up. Thank you. Thank you so much, Oscar. The Church Without Walls and, and really living into this uh, 
text from Paul that says it was now through the church that God destined that his manifold wisdom would be displayed to principalities, powers, rulers, authority. Oh this is the work that you're in right now. This is the call that you've received to express the reconciling, transforming love of God through Jesus. Um, Oscar, I want to go quickly because I see that my computer is saying I, I'm running out of power and I'm not near a power source. So <laughs> I'm going to ask this question and, and plug in. Oscar, today there are, are many who stress the pacifist message which Nelson Mandela emerged from prison in 1990. While few put an emphasis on his armed rebellion against apartheid, which landed him in prison. How do you hold these two together? Is it a tension? It, it can be very difficult. And I think especially in the times that we are living in, people, um, especially young people, don't see the, the life of nonviolence as a way to go. And, and that challenge continues to present itself in, in our current generation. And so in, in our country, you often hear young people uh, calling Mandela a sellout, mm. um, calling that dispensation a failure. But I think there's something huge to learn in that the gains from that transition and from the period and the negotiations that he took the country to um, is something that will continue to be manifest in this country. It's not a one day thing. It's going to be needing work as we go along. And so you, you continue to sit with the question of um, how best to bring about peace um, in the society that we that we live in, and 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 the only way is really to plant the nonviolence and peace as a way of life. And I think if we if we can do that, we will see generations of people uh, who will build peace. I think our world has not focused as much as it can. Um, on the notion of peace building. Um, I think there is a huge need to, to, to raise that banner of peace building and to build a little bit more. I think that's the only way that's going to take us to, to where we need to be. So that's, that's what I would see. Um, I don't see the failure that most people tend to associate with the, with the approach, and, and I believe even you in America, you have that challenge where uh, people will often look at, at uh, Martin Luther, um, yeah. Martin Luther King as, as having been a failure in yeah. nonviolence. And uh, uh, I've often heard people say, wait, wait, so where did nonviolence get him? He got shot. Um, as if violence would do something better, mm. as if we, yeah. we could get somewhere if we all used violence. And, and I think we have seen the seeds of violence. They have not yielded anything anywhere. 
ever. We have seen sprouts of peace where there has been nonviolence. And, and that's something that we can work on. That's something that we can build on. It's hard work. Violence is very easy. It's, it's going out and banning things around. And, and yet it doesn't achieve what you want to achieve at the end of the day. And yet peace, even though it's hard work and requires us to sacrifice quite a lot. And that's why I, I often, I mean, if you look at all my emails, right at the bottom is Thomas Metten. Because I sit with that as a, as a challenge daily. If you're going to build peace, it's hard work. Yeah. Violence is easier than building peace. And that's the challenge that we face. So we need to choose the role of the hard work um, and work hard each day. And we need to be asking the Lord of the harvest for more hard workers um, who want to see peace. And, and I think the church has not waken up yet to, to that challenge of peace building. I think they, they still see themselves uh, watching the space and so the message of peace is not preached as much in the church. And so there's a, there's a need to be able to awaken the church to the message of, of peace building, to being able to bring people of different races together, different ethnic groups together uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and I think what, what's really beautiful is the fact that the, the gospels are very clear in how they demonstrate um, that. I was talking to a man here the other day, how much I appreciate what Peter did mm. when he visited Cornelius's house. You know, Cornelius looking at Peter as a Jew, a respectable man, he bows down, which is what any, any black folk would do when a white missionary would walk in. Ah. And, 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 and Peter doesn't leave it for another day to talk about how embarrassed he was that this guy bowed at him. Peter lifts him up immediately, restores his dignity immediately. Yes. And he says to him, I am a man just like you. I, I, I think of all the statements, everything else that he says after that doesn't matter. The fact that he pulls him up and he puts himself at the same level. And he says, we are the same. We are equal. And for me, that's what matters the most. I think the church has a lot to share in, in building peace and in equipping um, its people to be able to build peace, uh, peace around the world. So that's, that's how I see um, what needs to be done. And uh, living within... Um, the sphere of nonviolence and not being afraid to to be to be known as a, as being nonviolent um, as much as we might be given names, mm. but that's how we will be able to build this world. Yeah. Oscar, this is such an amazing vision that you've given us today. I'm going to let Jason take it away. Just, I just want to say that this has been such a, an illustration of the salvific message that this peace part 
part that is so sacrificial. It's part of our transformation. We have all these visions about the cross. We never put this piece in there. So I just want to thank you for that. Uh, just this message of the transforming power of being a peace builder because it it transforms us. It's part of our salvation. It's part of how we become healed. Jason. Oscar, thank you. My my last question for you is this work is very difficult sometimes as wounds and trauma that we're seeking to uh, be a vessel of healing and transformation uh, toward. So in this work, what is the, the, the joyful thing or what provides you with joy to sustain you through this work? It, it's people. Hmm. It's, it's finding people that can uh, bring that joy. Um, I have people that I go to when I feel down and out and completely beaten. And uh, they, they will remind me about the period when I was at the mountain. And they will talk about all those things that I have achieved. And, and that somehow reminds me that there is good work that's happening, even though I might not be seeing it at that particular moment. And so I, I have surrounded myself with, uh, with good people who are able to, to do that to me. My wife also does that quite a lot. Mm. Um, she, she, she bears the responsibility when I, when I get home and, and I can't find funding, I can't pay salaries, I can't do this. And uh, she's able to say, you know, God has never abandoned you. Since the day he called you, he promised that he'll provide yeah. and he has. Yeah. And uh, come, let's pray and let's trust him once again. Mm. And so that has really, really kept me going in, in difficult, difficult times. And they are difficult times, they yeah. do come. Um, and so having those people that you can, you sometimes you call, I mean, sometimes I, I don't even know what to say. I have a fellow that I called the other day and I said to him, you know, I, 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 I know when I quoted a number of verses and I said, this is what I'm sitting with. This is what I know that God is able to do. But right now I'm facing a situation where I need this amount yes. of money and yes. it's not there with all the verses that I know. Very real. And, and he said, you know, you, you, you've always shared with me great testimonies. And I know even this one mm -hmm. will turn to a great testimony. And I can't wait to hear you share the testimony with me. And, and he prayed for me. Yes. And that was it. And in three days' time, I called him with a great testimony. <laughs> so, 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 so having, those, having those people is always... Um, helpful for me and I, I guess that's what really keeps me going um, and, uh, and uh, maybe one thing that I can share is I mean when I started this work um, Jason and Eddie I had a number of folks um, share prophecies that the Lord had laid in their hearts for me 
Mm. I had read a number of verses that promised me about how God was going to take care of everything in the future. So, so I had prophecies, I had the word of God. And, and so I carry those with me. When, when it gets very, very difficult, I have to take myself back eight years ago and remember what God said. And remember that that's what I'm supposed to be looking at right now, even as I face whatever challenge. To remember that he he had made promises and up to now I just can't remember the verse um, at the moment that I, I I I often like to to reflect on that God who has been so faithful and true in the past um, you just have to look at what he has done to be able to know that even tomorrow he's going to continue to do what he has done so that's that's really what carries me through mm. does it get it does get tough. And uh, I mean, there are times when you're not able to see how um, next week is going to be, how next yeah. month is going to be. Um, I was telling one, I was telling my treasurer here, uh, we, we had a deficit and, and he was asking, so, so why, why plan when you can actually wait a little bit until you have enough money? And I'm saying to him, you know, um, if, if we waited, we would never plant. Um, and so we 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 plan. True. <laughs> we plan as if the one. money is going to be there. Um, yes. We yes. get people to all. <laughs> yes, call those things that are not as though they are. This is the faith piece. You've given us such a great foundation for joy, my brother. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the business. That's what keeps us going, man. Jason. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It reminds me of that song, especially when you're talking about your sisters and brothers in Christ who encourage you. It reminds me of the hymn, What a Fellowship, What a Joy Divine. How we hold each other, encourage each other, sometimes kind of provide a little reproof on occasion as well, but ultimately to build one another in the faith. And to yeah, take the yeah, yeah. words of prophecy over our lives seriously, because they yeah. will be that uh, foundation which we'll rest on later. Stand Thank on you, those promises. Yeah. Community, spirit, faith, joyful. Yeah. Jason, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Oscar. Great, great. Thank you so much. I I thank you for the opportunity to share together. Um, and I trust that uh, uh, your people will be blessed as much as I have enjoyed the time together. Amen. And I think Addie has the last lightning round of questions. Okay. Thank you so much, Oscar. This has been such an inspirational time. So we've had some meaningful and robust conversations, some joy for the journey. And we like to finish with a personal note. So let's do a lightning round. And this is an either or so we can learn a little bit more about Oscar. So mm. on time or early? Oscar, are you on time or early? Often a little bit early. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tea or coffee? Coffee, definitely. Novel or movie? It's going to be movie. <laughs> Ocean or mountains? That one is a difficult one. I've always lived around the ocean, but I love mountains. Mm. Big, 
Big party or small gathering? Small gathering, definitely. Sweet or salty? Sweet. In transit, music or podcasts? <laughs> music. Singing or dancing? Oh, I love dancing. I can't see. Um, <laughs> that, that was the unfortunate part. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. Jason, uh, would you just close us out? This has been such an inspirational time with you, my brother. I can see where we will need to stay together. Thank you for pouring thank into you. us today in this. Oscar, thank you for teaching peace by your words and your witness. And thank you to all who tuned in for this conversation. If you want to hear more of these conversations, whether listening on a podcast or YouTube, or like today, Facebook Live, remember to like, subscribe, and share. And again, thank you for joining us on Teaching Peace.